The dead dive. What, Captain Hollister? Everybody's dead dive. What, Todd Hunter? What, Selby? Not Chen. He's dead dive. Everybody is dead. Everybody is dead dive. Hello, welcome to They're All Dead Dave, a Red Dwarf review podcast. I almost tripped over my words there. With me, <laughs> Phil Hawkins. And me, Adam Martin. Uh, yes, we are the duo that is going through every episode of Red Dwarf weekly here on the channel. At least we think it's weekly. We think we're going to read yeah, it weekly. Yeah, we think so. And uh, we're batch recording the first six of these. So uh, things are still a little up in the air. Like we recorded the first two episodes and and then I got the theme tune after that. Now, if you mm. like the theme tune, uh, it's composed by composer Stephen Kingsbury. Do go check out his website, which is uh, stephenkingsbury.com. Nice and simple. He is a composer of many things, including lots of musicals. So uh, mm. go check that out if you like the theme tune. But one thing I noticed when I was putting on the uh, clips there for the theme tune is that I have slightly misnamed this podcast, but three episodes in, I think it's slightly too late to to, to, uh, <laughs> to think. I've misquoted on the on the title of the podcast, I think, because oh, really? the final bit isn't they're all dead, Dave. It's everybody's dead, Dave. <laughs> uh, everybody's dead. They're all dead. I mean, it's, it's, they do. St- he does start by saying they're all dead. He does. It's <laughs> so close enough, it's kind of com- isn't it? combining the first quote with the last quote. <laughs> I think it's fine. We'll we'll go with it. It's how we get around red dwarf makers coming after us. Yeah, <laughs> Say, oh, we haven't stolen in. it, you know. Yeah. yeah, we can't be changing it now. So I um, am someone who has watched Red Dwarf since the 90s. If you're new to the podcast, I've been watching it for, since the uh, since the 90s. Whereas Adam is fresh and new to watching it. I am. This is my first watch through ever of Red Dwarf. All I had before this, again, if you knew, was scraps of knowledge, maybe a few images here, a few clips there. But I'd never sat down and properly watched an episode until this run through. And if you're here, I am three episodes in technically on this episode. Yeah, we're up to episode three, Balance of Power, Mm. in which uh, Lister decides that he's had enough of Rimmer bossing him about as the yeah. as the senior technician and the only person on the ship, so therefore technically out outranking everybody else, which is just Lister. And uh, so he decides that he's going to try and do an officer's exam and try and mm. outrank him. Indeed. And hilarity ensues. What was your <laughs> um, general thoughts of this episode? Yeah, I, I like the, obviously the title hints it, but just the central concept we're seeing how both of these main characters can exert their power just you know despite one being technically superior in terms of rank and obviously all the comedy that um comes out of it but i thought i wrote in my notes this is definitely i think more rimmer's episode there was a lot more moments rimmer had that either made me laugh or i just thought connected not that you know no disservice to craig charles he did a great job but even though it's quite funny it's called balance of power but i think the episode leans slightly in rimmer's favor just in terms of what he got to do yeah yeah and and it's interesting because rimmer is somebody that likes to follow the rules to the letter and all that sort of stuff but lister is very much somebody who isn't so in a way with just the two of them on the ship he to him, it doesn't actually matter that Rimmer mm. outranks him. He would ignore him at every possibility. But there's some clever things that they put in and write into the plot that means that he kind of he's he's sort of blackmailed into listening to him because yeah. at one point Rimmer has like Rimmer well Rimmer has 
you know, the senior, senior I can't say that word, seniority, seniority, seniority. Yeah, that higher the, rank status. Yeah, yeah, the higher rank status, which does mean that he can request stuff from the computer, which uh, Lister can't. Mm. And presumably he's used that to find out various manifests and stuff. And what he's done is basically he knows where all the cigarettes are and he's not telling Lister where they are. And he's only yeah. giving him cigarettes when and if uh, he does what he's told. Yeah, it's blackmail. But I liked, mm. I thought it was a good way of getting around the fact that Lister's character really wouldn't listen to him, <laughs> which is, he wouldn't care that he was that ranking. Yeah. I, th- I feel that's what, I mean, that's what I love about Lister so far, that even when he's being like bossed about or even like blackmailed, whatever, he's just this chilled out guy. He's just, he, do you know what I mean? He's just like, eh, I'll just, he just cracks on in his own way. And I kind of, I just kind of like that, you know, someone who just, you know, you could say they're a bit of a slob, but he just, he just gets on with it. I must say though, the, the prevailing thought from this episode, because I think sometimes I forgot as well, because obviously so much focus on this one is specifically on uh, Dave and, and Rimmer. Um, I forgot that Cat was in this episode, and Cat does <laughs> yeah. appear, of course, like in a few a few scenes here or there. Um, and I don't know. I wrote this down just because it was the first thing that popped to my head. If you've listened to episodes one and two of this podcast, you'll know when we very first saw Cat, it came across to me as sort of you know like a pastiche of say you know someone like Prince or Michael Jackson, you know, a big a pop star of that era, if you like, the late eighties. But I don't know what it was. Uh, something about his movements, his actions, and maybe it's the fact he kept saying, "Yeah, I'm looking good." It just reminded me of James Brown. It was oh, okay. very like it was very like James Brown sort of soul man. You're going, "Ooh, ah," and like the whole, "Ooh, I'm looking good." Like, do you know what I mean? And I don't know why yeah. it was this episode in particular. Maybe it was just the certain man, the combination of the mannerisms and the voice. But it it was just the first thing that screamed out in my head. I was like, "This is very James Brown." So. Yeah, I, I think it's, you know, it's not a bad thing necessarily, but I think it ties into what I said in previous episodes where even though he has evolved from a cat, at the minute still he still comes across a bit more to me as like sort of that, I guess, you know, pop star pastiche more than a cat, if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, although they seem to be a, a recurring trope and it does seem to be that they give him cat qualities that they hype up. Like in this mm. one, it's claiming shiny things as his own. He gets, you know laser focused on the shiny things and he only cares mm. that they're shiny and he's like no that's mine now i found it it's mine and that that strikes me as a very sort of cat quality and it's a trope that well i think it probably runs throughout the whole series but uh the the whole of the the like 10 10 or 12 series wherever we're on now but it but particularly in these early ones they really played it up and it was kind of it was kind of all cat was it was it was it's the sort of pop star coolness uh, yeah. the, and the cat qualities and that's all there really is to the cat character at this point mm. yeah and i mean as 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 you say you know we've got so far to go we've got several series and i'm sure there will be more development i think it's just and maybe it's just because you know i've not watched this show before but i think i'm starting to feel like you know it'd be nice to see a bit more from this guy at the minute than just the whole oh ah looking good like because Again, they sort of did that in the you know first and second episodes, and it is a funny recurring gag. But at the minute, it's sort of I feel all that's being offered currently, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, it, just generally, I my general thoughts of the episode. I thought it was a good premise. Mm. Um, which you know had a lot of comedy potential, and I think they they did it. it explored the relationship between the two of them. Uh, the main sort of they are the main two characters really at the moment. 
um, mm. Lister and Rimmer. So, you know, it's good to explore their character. I would like to see some more of um, the rest of the crew, but mm. well, I say the rest. It's only really two more, Cat <laughs> and Holly. Um, yeah. Talking of Holly, the first, the opening bit uh, where they where he recaps the situation, potentially for new viewers, I assume they did that because, you know, terrestrial television, there was no chance to rewatch episodes. So you could be getting people that have never seen the show come in every episode. Yeah. And, and just having something at the beginning that summed up the premise of it is quite a good idea, I suppose. Yeah, it's nice. And obviously it, it's done in the character of Holly, which, as we've discussed before, is that sort of just deadpan so it'll, it'll deliver some fine jokes about the preceding episode with a bit of, you know, a bit of comedy and a bit of wit. And you're right, it is a good way of reintroducing people to the story as opposed to the, the good old fashioned BBC way of just before the program. You know, you'll get a, a little caption card and an announcer will go, previously on Red Dwarf, uh, Dave Lister went and did this. And, you know, that sort of very stoic, here's what happened. It, I, this is actually very much in keeping with the show, of course, because, I mean, it, it's Holly who's delivering it. One of my favourite... Um, scenes from this episode was the whole flashback scene of you know like the party in the canteen yes. yeah because um i think i thought it was a really you know it seems obvious but it's a very clever way of to just show us more characters who are obviously dead but to sort of break up that pace of oh it's just you know uh, dave and rimmer primarily um and it's just nice to see I, the sort of start and end of it i thought was actually quite tender for the series you know just um just lister sitting there in the canteen on his own and you've got some somber music playing do you know what i mean it's just a brief stop to say i guess to remind the audience like whilst this show's funny it's like you know he is by all intents and purposes on his own everyone yeah. he's known right. is gone it's a reminder yeah. of what he's lost yeah and it, and and it, it does... just made me sorry go on sorry uh, no go on. you go i was just gonna say it made me laugh seeing the banner that said 1990s night or whatever because i was like this show was made in 1987 and they've done this cute little fast forward and it made me laugh when looking at like what they were all wear and is you know the sort of i say ironically close to the 90s you know a lot of loud colors and sideways caps and things like that so you know for 1987 not not bad guys not bad but um and you know nice to see mark williams again arthur weasley himself, mark williams yes and also the... i spotted um I can't remember the actor's name, but the guy he he spent many years being in Holby City as a doctor. Okay, um, mm. one of the one of the sort of surge was he a surgeon? I can't remember. Was it one of those at the table? The four of us. Yeah, it was the one. It was mm. the one that was at the front, opposite the okay. uh, Mark Williams. But I can't remember his name. He was also in EastEnders for many years as well, mm. uh, and then he went on. He to got around Holby City. Yeah, so it's it, these little actors that you notice and uh, in these scenes. It's, it's quite nice. And it also set that flashback sort of set up some more stuff with Kachansky. Of course, we had uh, yes. sort of had hints of Dave's feelings for Kachansky before in the very opening episode where we actually before he got frozen. And mm. uh, here we see a bit bit more of that, which then plays later on in the episode, plays into the later on in the episode as well. So it was kind of nice sort of set up and payoff again. Yeah. And I mean, we saw... Kachansky obviously towards the end sort of being taken over by uh by Rimmer to sort of deter deter um deter Dave. And you know, it's that um fair play to again her name escapes me, which is bad, but fair play to the actress for him because I thought she got across uh, you know, sort of some of Rimmer's mannerisms, both in her voice and her body. Because I think I think it's very obvious the joke is we you know, they want us to know early on that this is Rimmer trying to pull a fast one by by doing this but i don't know i just think as 
if you're an actor who's been told, you know, do a imitation of another character, I think it is all about those sort of smaller mannerisms or the way they say things or the language. And I just thought she pulled that off perfectly. You know, you knew it was Rimmer. Yeah. Like straight away. So, yeah. yeah. One thing we mentioned in the past was that this being from the 1980s, some of the humor might have dated a little bit. Um, and there were mm. two instances where I've come down on, I think I've come down on very, both involving Kachansky, where I think I've come down on very different sides of it. Uh, uh-huh. Because both of them kind of come across uh, as a little, initially as a little bit sexist. Uh, okay. Because in that flashback scene, all the, you know, the lads around the table are all sort of chanting, doing this chant about how many blokes that Kachansky yeah. slept. And it did make me cringe a little bit that. Um, so that was the first one, which I, I sort of come down as that, that like uh, that doesn't quite sit well with me but then uh-huh. later on when in that scene you were just talking about where rumor is in uh using her body as a as a sort of hologram holographic camouflage mm. there's a bit where he sort of looks down her shirt that his own shirt uh which is her body <laughs> and comments yes. on the fact that well i've seen something you'll never see um, yeah. but why that i don't think that's quite as bad as the first time is because we're not really meant to like Rimmer. We're meant to think he's, you know, got questionable morals. So we're not necessarily on his, they're not portraying it as we're meant to be on his side while he's doing that. And in fact, the look on Lister's face kind of was how I was feeling about it. So Mm. I, I, I think that one fits quite well with his character and, so it doesn't feel quite as out of place in in twenty twenty as the other scene did. I don't know. I don't know if you picked up. Yeah, on I mean, I must admit that scene in the canteen when they're all sort of chanting about you know or how many people is like Kachansky slept with and stuff. I think my initial take from that was just oh they're doing the whole it's like you know those those daft drunk lads at a, at a party sort of thing. Not saying that's excusable. Obviously, if I I'd never want to be. I'd say. If I was with my mates and they started doing that, like in a pub or something, I think I'd just walk away because that's like, again, it's it's you know, it's that it's that stereotypical laddish behaviour. And I'm sure when you look back at you know a lot of TV of the day and of the when it goes into the 90s and stuff, that is still very much there, not so much now. Um, so no, I must admit, my knee jerk surprisingly wasn't that. Oh, this is a bit cringe i think i was just like oh yeah they're doing the whole drunken lads thing but yeah and the yeah i the suppose o- and also we, we i suppose we did say like last week british shows especially of the series you and a lot of british shows as opposed to american ones you don't they don't necessarily write it for you to root for the protagonist and you don't necessarily yeah. have to like the protagonist like dave lister's a disgusting man in many ways so <laughs> i suppose this is this is just another one of the things you can add to that mm. list yeah, and with the, with the second one again, I do I totally understand what you said about the whole like the idea of the joke and stuff, and how you might not necessarily see that now in obviously with how just how things have changed over the last thirty odd years. But um, I think again, I sort of viewed it as it was just a moment of Rimmer being almost like childish in a way. You know that thing when kids yeah. are, I hate to say it, but you know kids at school when they've they've done something <clears throat> or seen something, they've like one up their mate and they've gone, oh I've done that, you haven't, sort of thing. Because I've I've thought as the episodes have gone on, and uh, you know that Dave and Rimmer are very much in many respects childish towards each other. It's like yeah. that schoolboy rivalry, or 
teasing sort of thing. So I think I just saw it as like an example of that, you know, just Rimmer basically going, oh, I've got the one up here. But yeah, it's it's a joke. You know, if I was writing this show in 2021, I probably wouldn't have included that. You know, there was millions of other jokes you could have made. But um, yeah. Yeah, but I don't think it, you know, it didn't it didn't make me go, oh, God, do you know what I mean? I didn't no. have that strong sort of knee jerk, I guess. No, no, it just kind of felt like um, it, it It didn't make me dislike the episode at all or even that scene. It's just uh, it just made it just felt dated, I guess. Yeah, I, I've just noticed I wrote in my notes, I put nice cheap breast joke to finish off with. So <laughs> I was like, that that summarizes it right there. Think, yeah. It? But um, I'll tell you what, though, a gag that is, wasn't bad, but I think is an example of it going on too long, was the fish gag with Cat in the drive room, you know, when he goes oh, to the machine. Oh, okay, yeah. Only because he does it, I think, I counted, I think he does it about six times. And gr- the first, I think, three for me, I genuinely did laugh. It was funny. Like, again, his whole sort of suave appearance. And he's like, fish! And the machine just keeps doing it. But then I was like, oh, we're still... Because there's, well, to me, there's nothing added. It is him, you know, literally just stood there going, fish, fish, yeah. fish. And the machine saying the same thing. If maybe the food machine had done it, but maybe, you know, been a bit more sassy or said something different each time to sort of add to the joke. I just think it was one of them where after the third time I was like, okay, I I get it. You want fish. And you yeah. want fish. Do you know what I mean? It was like too I, long, I, too long. I think that the length of it for me was part of what made it but i can see what you mean it may maybe it would have been better if the machine had started saying like uh, okay again or something just something else just to even if yeah. it just changed its inflection of its voice or something to to alter it that might have um that might have yeah solved i that think that problem. was it for me the joke just seemed like it it was almost too static like once they established what it was it didn't add or even subtract anything it just stayed the same for an extra three rounds so to speak yeah yeah um i mentioned this before on the podcast but the whole set is very gray and mm. there's, there's not there's little bits of color uh yeah. not a massive amount <laughs> but what struck me is and, and you kind of get used to that but but then i noticed in this episode even the cans of beer are just gray cans <laughs> yeah <laughs> and I, I don't know i don't I, that was clearly an aesthetic choice there i'm guessing it's a you know, this is a working environment that they're meant to... They're on a mining ship. It's meant to be depressing, I guess. Yeah. Well, I read somewhere just recently, because I think I was trying to find the artist of the, the theme song for the end. Um, but I just, you know, I read some basic notes about how, like, they got started and stuff. And I think I read that the design of either... I can't remember if it was specifically the drive room or just the whole ship was meant to sort of replicate what the Trident submarines were doing in the UK. You know, the nuclear program. Yeah, yeah. Because, of course, in the 80s, that was always a big talking point, wasn't it? Should we have a nuclear deterrent? The whole back and forth argument. And, um, you know, for anyone who knows the history, Maggie Thatcher certainly thought we did. Um, But apparently that was some inspiration. Like the design, I I can't pitch them in my mind's eye, but apparently some of the design of those submarines on the inside was partly the inspiration for uh, the Red Dwarf ship on the inside. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, yeah, it does have a very... The interior does have a very submarine feel to it. Mm. Oh, I thought there was some interesting uh, sort of potentially verging on cultural commentary at one point where Rimmer is mm. uh, talking, they're, they're having a conversation when Dave is about to go off and do his exam and he's studying for his exams. 
And there's a conversation where uh, he says, oh, you always follow the rules, don't you? Uh, or you always respect your superiors and, and stuff. Sort of hinting that like, oh, he, he, you know, you, you'll obviously do what I say when I become superior because you follow the rules. And uh, yeah. and what Rimmer said in reply was, if you mean I respect my superiors no matter who they are and I obey them the orders blindly and unquestionably, yes, yes, I do. And yeah. I just thought that was like, because it's so, it was fr- sort of the way Chris Barry performed it and everything, it was clearly meant to indicate that like following blindly and never questioning orders is not a good thing. Uh, so I just thought it was a nice little moment of cultural commentary sort of in there. Yeah. I mean, I mean, now that I think about it and the, um, you know, this probably wasn't the intention at all, but knowing of what 1980s history I do and the, you know, not the social and political climate of the time, you could argue that uh, Lister and Rimmer are those two very different dynamics in some respects you know uh, Rimmer being that sort of you know for sake of argument here you know that sort of you know Margaret Thatcher following oh I'll do whatever the higher ups say clean and proper you know must follow the rules like the old ways and Lister's sort of that more you know I want to maybe like you know free thinking that sort of more progressive oh let's try things in a new way I get as I say that probably wasn't the intention from the start but now that you've, it's funny you mentioned that, and those parallels instantly popped in my head because they are totally different characters, and you could argue they represent maybe those two different kinds of society back then. Yeah. Uh, then we get to the sort of ending where Rimmer, sorry, not Rimmer, Lister has taken the exam. He's taken, and mm-hmm. uh, first of all, Rimmer's quite smug about it because he's like, "You don't know anything about engineering, you know." And he tests him, and he's, "No, I don't know anything. I don't, I don't, don't know that quite answer to that question, don't mm. I?" Then he finds out he's doing the chef's exam, which I thought was a great little twist, and just like, yeah. "Oh, he could actually pass it and then be his superior." And Rimmer starts to get actually worried about it. Yeah. <laughs> And I guess it shows how the di- there's the different hierarchies on the ship, how e- the technicians, you know, are considered the the lowest class under the yeah. under the chefs. Or even, I think, as Rimmer says, even lower than the guy who changes the bog roll. So, <laughs> even, so the janitors, you know. Um, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And, and then, uh, so they're waiting around and he gets his results. Uh, but we never find out, we, we never get expressly told what he got as his results and it ends Mm. with a sort of cliffhanger in a way because he sort of ends with Rimmer go what did you get what did you get Rimmer what did you get what did you get and Lister and he goes and he just Lister just goes back what did you get Lister sir yeah indicating that he passed and that and then it ends on like a typical cheesy 80s freeze frame of him jumping in the air very very of the time i like that i was like ah i wondered if a freeze frame was gonna <laughs> gonna appear. yeah what did you think about the ending did you did you like that ending i did in the sense that you know he said it but i think again it's like oh well i hope this i think i liked it on the condition that it was going to be continued or built upon more in episode four which at the time of this recording i have seen but i will save my thoughts for episode four of this podcast but i think that was when i finished episode three it was like yeah it's like okay assuming he's got it then i'd like to see how this changes things then in the ship so uh but yeah it was it was a nice it was a nice ending in that sense um 
Yeah, but I mean, yeah, if you want to know my thoughts on how it continued episode four, we'll have to wait till next week when, when or whenever that episode four comes out. Yeah, dude, don't mm. forget to subscribe and do all those oh, things do. wherever you're mm. listening to this. Right, so uh, some of the things I like to ask every week of us, uh, yeah. what was your funniest moment on the, uh, of the episode? It's got to be the uh, <laughs> the Scuttlers in the cinema watching a film about cows just because you saw the film first and I was like, okay. And then when you just see the two little hands, I just burst out laughing because it's like, of course they'd be doing something like this. And, <laughs> and just that whole scene, you know, when Rimmer's asking about them and they hold up the dustpan and brush like, yes, we are working and like the whole, you know, flipping two fingers up to him or two claws or whatever. It was just a really funny little scene that in, you know, if you think about it, it didn't need to be there, but it, I'm so glad it was there. It was just, yeah. I think they're becoming my favourite comedic characters, the the various bits of machinery on the ship. Yeah, they're such good, especially the the, um, the scuttlers. They're, they're just, the physical comedy that they managed to do with such simple puppetry is, yeah. is really good. My favourite bit was um, we, there's a there's a sort of plot line which we haven't really touched upon, which is that mm. Holly keeps giving Rimmer or, or gives Rimmer the wrong body part, the body part of another crew member, yes, and he gives him yeah. th- this other crew member's arm at one point, which is all hairy and has tattoos. And then there's a scene in the drive room where it seems to suddenly it hasn't up to this point had its mind of its own but it suddenly gets a mind of its own and starts attacking Rimmer yeah. so he's, he's having a fight with what is essentially his own arm uh, but it's somebody else's arm so he's having a fight with himself and, and punching himself and I was just I it, it was one of the moments in the, that made me laugh out loud I just thought it was so funny great you know physical comedy from Chris Barry there oh, absolutely it was yeah really funny yeah and that, no, course, I enjoyed the, that yeah the whole um the whole accidentally giving body parts or not accident holly probably did it deliberately what sort of plays into the the being kachansky later on it kind of sets up the fact that oh he could have his personality in another body uh or you know bits of his uh, other people on you know the hologram emitters could work that way yeah absolutely yeah who was your favorite character this episode Oh, I'm tempted to say the Scuttlers again, but I won't. I'll 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 diverge from that. Um, favorite character? Well, again, like if I I could be technical and I mean from an acting standpoint, I'd say you know the woman who plays Kachansky in in the scene where she's being Rimmer again for the points I mentioned earlier, just for the attention to detail that you know she wasn't just playing herself; she was playing a Rimmer version of Kachansky. So I'd say from an acting standpoint, I'd probably say her. Uh, from a character standpoint, even though I said, you know, it was very laddish behavior, I like that table of lads, you know, in the flashback, because aside from, you know, the cringy, oh, how many people has she slept with? I just I just like seeing four good mates sort of on a night out have a bit of a, a laugh with each other, I guess, and a bit of banter. And then I think that had even more weight to it when you cut back to the present. And like we said earlier, you just see uh, Lister on his own. So yeah, I think that that just that just that little gang. I think they were my yeah. favorite characters think, of this those episode. Those flashback scenes that kind of pop up a couple of times throughout series one. I think, mm. given that there's such a small cast for this show, it's nice to have those moments where we get to see what their lives were like elsewhere, and the fact that you know we are contained at this point in the series to just the ship as well. Just having those yeah. moments where we get to see a bit more life other than 
just Lister and Rimmer at each other's throats and just yeah. the cat being a eccentric cat thing. Yeah, uh, it's that variety, isn't it? And I'm yeah. glad, you know, I kind of expected the other crew members would show up at some point, but I'm, I'm, I am glad that they are because I think we mentioned it in one of the previous episodes where whilst, you know, uh, Chris Barry and Craig Charles are two phenomenal actors and Danny John Jules as well, um, it's very difficult to do, to carry like a whole series of six episodes in a limited amount of spaces with just two characters. It can be done. Of course it can. But I'd say in the sense of a sitcom, it's even more difficult because, you know, sitcoms traditionally, the way they work and get the laughs of these, you know, big ensemble cash, you know, loads of loads of people coming in, coming out, guest stars, all that sort of stuff. Whereas this one sort of, I think, goes against the, at the minute anyway, like, you know, the typical sitcom grain, how it is just primarily three, four, if you count Holly, characters. So, I mean, that's kind of, I think I've gone through all my notes. Is there anything else you had that you wanted to talk about? Um, no, I think I've covered all, all, all my bases there. Like, as all the points we've mentioned, good and bad, um, I think we should get into the, the rating, don't you? Yeah. I'll let you it. go first this time, because okay. for anyone to listen to the last two, I started and then Philip ended up saying the exact same as me. So hopefully this time you'll say yours and mine will be different. But. Yeah, well, I definitely enjoyed this episode more than I did the last one. And mm. no episode has been bad so far, but there was just something that just there wasn't as many laughs in the second episode as there was in the first one. And again, I think I had more laughs this time around. So I think I'm going to give this one four Scudderbugs out of five. Oh, well, you'll be pleased to know we aren't going to say the same, which <laughs> which is good. Um, yeah, I, I'm in the same vein as you. I enjoyed it more than episode two, Future Echoes. I like seeing the power dynamic explored between uh, Lister and Rimmer. As I mentioned, I loved the flashback scene, seeing a bit more of the crew as well. There's some great physical comedy acting in there. Although, as I said as well, some jokes I think were either a bit too long or a bit dated. But that's not necessarily the episode's fault. That's just hindsight, passing of time, etc. So with all that considered, I think I'll give it 3.5 scutterbugs out of 5. Mm. I guess points for improvement for me would have been... Um, I maybe I'm gonna say I would have maybe even liked a little bit more time in the flashback, just a little bit, maybe something between Lister and Kachansky specifically, because before you know, even though he says, "Oh, you know, I I love her and I want to tell her," all we'd really seen of them up to that point was that brief scene in episode one in the drive room when he's like sort of making a move on her, and then it, you know, the captain calls him in. So whilst I think it is an obvious character trait, I would have maybe liked in a flashback scene exploring that a bit you know all those times maybe he's tried to say it and has failed yeah because um, he's uh, it's pointed out that he's only spoken a certain amount of words to her yeah it was like i can't remember how many it was now I, not I many can't but yeah. either, but it wasn't a massive amount so that probably that time that we saw her in episode one that was probably one of their longest interactions they'd ever had <laughs> true yeah no, absolutely. And uh, I guess the other main point for me, as I've said, and I'm sure it will happen as it goes on, maybe a bit more uh, development or something different with the with the cat character. Whilst, as we said, like that whole cool persona, it is it is cool. But I think for me, that whole I, I want to see something a little bit different now, apart aside from just the oh, looking good and all that sort of stuff. It's not bad. Red Dwarf fans, hear me out. It's not bad. But it's it's just starting to show, you know, three episodes in, I'm like, okay, I want to see something a bit more now than just what we've already been shown. So yeah, 3.5 for me. 
Excellent. We will be back for another episode reviewing the next episode, Waiting for God, uh, very mm. soon. So do check out all of uh, the, you know, subscribe and stuff to all that jazz. Yes. Well, look, where can we where can we find you, Adam, on the internet? If people want to hunt you yeah. out, find your own YouTube channel, those type of things. <laughs> I thought you were going to say hunt me down then. Hunt, yeah, me, hunt you down. For, probably disagreeing. For my country, it's all the big Red Dwarf fans being like, <laughs> destroy the newbie. Um, now, if you want to find me or check out some of my work, you can on YouTube. Just type in Adam Martin. That's Martin with a Y. And I should pop up. Uh, I'm on Twitter at Adam Martin Actor, where you can just see... Uh, what videos I'm working on, my opinions on various things. I mean, I'm, I'm a massive Doctor Who fan amongst other things. So if you like that, you'll hopefully like what I have to tweet and the videos I put out. Those are my two mains, really, just Twitter and YouTube. Yeah, pretty much the same for me, just Twitter and YouTube. Uh, Philip Hawkins at uh, is is me on YouTube at the moment. And Twitter, I, I really need to change this because it's it, I have to spell it out every time. It's I love this story. I U D E X, which is pronounced Udex. It's not yeah. an L at the beginning. It's an I, and it's a silent I. The amount of times I've heard someone say, "Oh, Ludex Phil on Twitter." I know. I need to change it, but I've had it for like ten years. It's difficult. It's to change. it's that thing, isn't it? You've had it for so long. It's like you yeah. just become you become gripped to it. Yeah. But... So it's that. It's I U D E X underscore Phil is Udex people. Udex. Udex. <laughs> so... Don't you know your Latin? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> it's so pretentious it's ridiculous there we go that's where you can find us we'll be here for the next week uh, for next week to review another episode see you then see you later